This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. I am Tyler Donahue. Another Monday, it's the final regular season game week to look forward to here of the 2023 college football season in Happy Valley. We've got Michigan State and Penn State going on Black Friday night. A uh, bit of a marquee matchup showcase event in terms of, of where this one is landing on your on your television. It's going to be on NBC in primetime on Black Friday. Um, not necessarily a high-stakes drama on the field with a 4-7 and seven team for Michigan State. And Penn State favored by three touchdowns entering the matchup. We heard from James Franklin Day in Beaver Stadium. Uh, Penn State now at 9-2, and two, number 11 in the updated Associated Press Top 25 poll. We'll see what the new college football playoff rankings reflect on Tuesday. But for more context on what we heard from James Franklin and just where this team stands coming off of a 27-6 victory over Rutgers and before its regular season finale, we turn to Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallen. We will hear from our other colleague at Lions 24-7, Tyler Calvaruso, in just a little while, break down some of the recruiting takeaways from Penn State's final opportunity to get prospects in for a home game uh, that took place last Saturday for the win. But, uh, Daniel, the big question that we were all wondering, obviously, at quarterback was what's Drew Aller's status here for game number 12? He exited in the third quarter following a pretty significant collision in the open field as a runner. Went straight to the medical tent after a throw that followed that collision. Uh, then we did not see him involved. However, we didn't see him go to the locker room. We saw him out there with his uh, teammates on the sideline. We ultimately saw him pretty active in the post-game uh, conversations out in the field, courtesy of Brendan Cam. Um, but now what we do anticipate is we'll see him out there on Friday night against Michigan State because James Franklin saying he anticipates that uh, Drew Aller will be ready to go for this matchup. He does expect Bro Perbula to be part of the equation at quarterback. But Daniel, I think that's probably more clarity here on Monday of, of a shortened game week than we may have anticipated coming out of that post-game situation. Definitely. The quote from James Franklin was, we expect Drew to go um, against Michigan State on Friday night. Um, he did make the caveat that they hadn't been out on the field yet. Uh, they hadn't practiced yet. So what that looks like, what the game plan might look like with Drew Aller, um, I think remains to be seen. But based on what James Franklin said on Monday, it, it sounds like Drew Aller came out of the game all right on Saturday. I know that for a little bit, it didn't really look good uh, in terms of the amount of discomfort that it appeared that he was on uh, on the in on the sideline with how he was moving around, how he was grimacing, everything like that. But I, I think that you saw in Brennan Cam, Aller looked a little bit better. Um, I think you give these things a couple days, you can heal up a little bit. Um, so all I think it is good news. I think that when we saw him go out, when we saw that sequence, when we saw how he looked coming out of the medical tent, I think that your mind kind of goes to the worst case scenario immediately. Um, but I, I think with where Penn State stands right now, it's good news. And well, I guess on Friday, we'll see how much uh, Bo Prabula actually gets involved um, after James Franklin talked it up today. But um, I think good news uh, on the Drew Aller front so far. Yeah, and James made it a point. They've got some practices to get through here. We are going to be back on the practice field on Tuesday this week with Thanksgiving. I hope everybody, everyone has good holiday plans uh, coming up to, to fruition here later in the week. But uh, Mark and Daniel are going to be out on the road heading out to, to Ford Field for that Friday night matchup. Um, and, and so we'll be kind of circling up Friday night for our postgame show. Between now and then, we're back with only one episode this week. On Tuesday, we'll break down the Michigan State Spartans with Stephen Brooks. We'll hear from Mark and Daniel as well. And then we'll be back on the practice field on Tuesday night. So follow our coverage at lions247.com along the way as we learn more. But, Mark, that's obviously a very significant uh, answer uh, from James Franklin here on a Monday afternoon in Beaver Stadium. Before we work our way towards 9-2 and two and, and, and getting ready to finish off the season and what that's going to look like as a heavy favorite in Detroit, uh, go back to that. Saturday afternoon that we just witnessed in Beaver Stadium and, and kind of give us your big picture thoughts coming out. You had your report card. You had your takeaways over on the site uh, by the end of Saturday night. Just share with us here what you, what you thought that game 11 maybe meant for the Nittany Lions and, and what you've witnessed 
from that quarterback spot where you know, things took another interesting turn. Yeah, I think it was less about the quarterback spot than it was the offense in general. And, you know, through the early part of that game, I think they were really still struggling to find any sort of identity. And, you know, it stinks that Aller was hurt, you know, didn't, didn't want to see that, never want to see somebody get banged up. But I think one of the positives that came out of that game, and it would have been interesting to see had they would they have done that had Aller still been in there, and I think we were seeing it. We were seeing it before he got banged before he got banged up, but they finally committed to something offensively, and lo and behold, it was the run, and it worked. It's almost as if they used the same script that Michigan used against them, you know, realizing you're playing an inf an inferior offensive opponent, an opponent that clearly isn't going to put a lot of points on the board. The passing game was kind of all over the place. So, you know what? Don't even worry about the passing game. Put it in the hands of your running game. And that hadn't worked for Penn State all year until it finally did against a pretty good Rutgers defense. And, and I just think having that sort of identity, having some identity, having something that they could hang their hat on finally, you know, for, for Jay Wan Sider and Ty Howell and, and Franklin, whoever all was involved in that, to come up with that, I thought was just really big. How many of these games have we watched this year, even when they were winning, where offensively, even when they were pushing buttons, like things just weren't working? And finally, I just think it was so critical after you make the, the, the significant monumental change during the season of firing your OC that something worked. And I didn't know what it was going to be. I thought going into the game that that they would be able to use the, the short passing game to set up the running game. Both of you guys, I think, thought it was going to be more kind of the other way around, that they were going to be able to lean on the running game, and that ended up being what was the key. But I think even bigger than exactly how it happened is that it happened. Because once again, you get an outstanding effort from your defense, which is just one of the craziest defenses I've ever seen because there's four or five things in every game that make you want to pull your hair out. And then at the end of the day, you know, Rutgers is sitting there with six points. And, and it's just like somehow Manny Diaz has this thing figured out where he's not panicking. And I think you got just outstanding play from your special teams, especially your kicker uh, and your punter again. So you had those two things in place. And finally, to get the running game, what was it? Did they have 17 straight runs or, you know, 18 of their last 19 plays, whatever it was, to be able to, to to not only win the game, but to put it out of reach and to take advantage of the turnovers that the defense caused. I think that was really big. Even though we're, we have a limited sample size remaining in this season, only a couple games, and even though I don't know that it's going to necessarily mat matter against Michigan State, I think the fact that they were able to do that following that monumental change was big. They, they powered past them, especially in that second half, six yards per carry, 234 yards on the ground. That was a high on the season against any Big Ten opponent. Um, we mentioned the work that Catron Allen has done on the ground pretty consistently now, four consecutive games where he's at 5.2. Uh, I'm sorry, four, four last last four games at 5.2 yards per carry cumulatively. It's a, it's a really big chunk of this season when things really haven't gone right for the offense in, in several capacities. He's been Mr. Consistent for you. Bo Prabula, though, with those 71 rushing yards, uh, he had 39 of them on the first snap he got in there post-injury for Drew Aller. And the word that I think James Franklin applied in post-game, Daniel, was diversity. Uh, that he brought some diversity to the ground game because of the way that defenses have to prepare for the quarterback position along with that running back group. And so that makes you wonder, um, in and, and, and non-Prabula packages, uh, how can Penn State still generate that ground game? Because to this point, Mark just alluded to it, that's what you wanted to see. That was the recipe for success against Rutgers and, and to getting to the end with that win, to milk the clock, to pile up more points. Um, but but this is an instance where that was Bo Perbula's offense, and that's when we saw that spark for the for the ground game. So if Drew Aller's back available, we're more into a situation where there's a Perbula package, and we occasionally see him. I think the question becomes: How do you find that momentum, and how do you build upon it on the ground? I think that you have to turn to Katron Allen and Nick Singleton and tell them to be Katron Allen and, and Nick Singleton, uh, you know, the players that we've come to expect. Um, I, I think that. You, you talk about having Bo Prabula back there and the way that James Franklin framed it is that when Prabula is at quarterback, the defense has to account for all 11 players. 
um, and you know, in the run game, it's it's even. Like you don't have the the extra man who doesn't need to account for uh, for the quarterback. But I, I think if Drew Aller is back there, um, I, I think that you know, I do think that he's shown he can use his legs a little bit these last two weeks. Uh, you can say that there is some some mixed results there with uh, you know him having to leave the game on Saturday, but. We also saw it work against Michigan, and we saw it work again um, up until his injury on Saturday. But I think when you're talking about um, you're needing this run game to be able to function without um, Prabula back there at quarterback, I think that you're looking at Katron Allen getting those extra yards like we've seen him do, get that extra three, that extra four, um, you know, run somebody over, get into the second level. Um, and I think that you talk about Nick Singleton – um, you want to see him make one guy miss and then go. You want to see him hit that hole quickly, uh, follow his blocks and and get to the edge because he can kind of erase that advantage that the defense has with his speed, with his traits. Um, it's just a question of actually seeing that and him and putting himself in a position to do that. Um, so I think that if Aller um, does start and we do see maybe more of um, that, traditional uh, run game, I guess, the non-Prabula run game. Um, I think that you really have to look at, at these running backs. Um, you know, you want them to figure out how to get those extra yards for you. Based on what we heard from James Franklin here on a Monday, based on what we know about the way these running backs have rotated, the expectation now is Friday night, NBC, when you see this team take the field in four field, that'll be Drew Aller at quarterback and Nick Singleton as the starting running back because Katron Allen got the start against Rutgers last Saturday. And Singleton was brought up directly today uh, during the press conference with James Franklin and, and kind of referencing the, the lack of Production in the ground game, certainly compared to what we saw uh, during his 2022 Big Ten Freshman of the Year campaign last season when he went over 1,000 yards, averaged 6.8 per carry. Uh, right now, right around four yards per carry on the season. But as we discussed in the postgame show, uh, Mark, we saw him get 12 and get 20 and get nine on that final possession for Penn State. And, of course, we talk about that being with the presence of Bo Perbula and what might that mean when he's not on the field at quarterback and Drew Aller is reinserted there. But with Nick Singleton, James Franklin really took it upon himself. And as you'd imagine, he might, as the head coach of this team, uh, point to some of the other things that Nick Singleton has progressed at that do not involve his rushing yards per carry. And he talked about his development as a receiver, which is something we discussed during the preseason and carried on through the season now and what he's been able to do a bit more uh, as a receiver. And then as a blocker, James Franklin uh, referenced a couple times uh, what he's been able to do, not just as a pass blocker, but as blocking downfield for his teammate Katron Allen at times. So you don't understand he wants to say that, that that Nick Singleton's doing a lot more than just taking the ball and running with it for Penn State. Um, and he went so far as to say that when they go through the film and dissect sophomore version of Nick Singleton versus freshman version of Nick Singleton, he feels like they're going to see a more well-balanced football player from year two. Now, I think that's a hard sell to a lot of yeah. Penn State fans because this guy, uh, Nick Singleton, a lot of folks envisioned him as being the kind of game changer, momentum swinger who could get you out of a jam maybe against a Michigan or an Ohio State. We haven't seen those fireworks in year two from Nick Singleton. There are still some big moments. This is a it may not be a huge matchup and, and for all things considered in the Big Ten, but this is a matchup that's going to have a lot of national eyeballs on it across America. And then this team assuming they get to 10 and two and handle their business on Friday, that's going to be another marquee matchup awaiting in a few weeks where Nick Singleton's going to get a chance on a national stage. Mark, what's set up for Singleton to finish out this season? And what did you kind of uh, make of what James Franklin kind of put out there today on the table regarding number 10? I completely respect what, what James Franklin is saying, but if you were to ask any of us here, would you take the freshman Nick Singleton or the sophomore Nick Singleton? I'm I'm for the freshman. I mean, I think that it's it's clear that that he was a more dynamic back. But I say that I respect what James Franklin is saying because the more I look at it, th this is just looking to me like it's a mental thing with Nick Singleton. And I think if, if you're a Penn State fan or if you're on that coaching staff, you're hoping that that fourth quarter against Rutgers is what flips the switch. You know, there was a play earlier in the game that that all of us saw down by the goal line where all he had to do was follow Theo Johnson and he scores and he didn't do it. He, he cut the wrong way. And these were the decisions that he was making last year and doing things kind of the right way. And he, you, you don't, he just didn't become 
a non-explosive back. He just didn't become – you don't lose the things that he has. And I think it's it's confidence. You know, you're looking at a rushing game in general. It wasn't just Nick, but early in the season, they had trouble getting that rushing game going. And I'm wondering when in this kid's life he has ever faced adversity in the sense of not being able to run the ball past everybody the way that he has his entire life. And that's got to be a difficult thing to get past. Remember, he's still only a sophomore. So that's why I like the approach that James Franklin is taking. Accentuate the positives. Hope that, again, what you saw from Nick Singleton in that fourth quarter, because he looked, he started to look like the old Nick Singleton. And, and, and hope that he's able to get his confidence back. That's another That's another reason why, uh, you know, I, I mentioned it last time that, that we recorded. I'm really high on J1 Sider. And if there's a kid struggling to get out of this thing, I think he's going to help him eventually get out of it. And I just think that la- that fourth quarter has an opportunity to be so big if they can build on that in this Michigan State game. And so let's see if it happens. But, I, I mean, uh, uh, you understand where Franklin's coming from. This is a guy with a psychology degree, and he he knows how to work with, with young people. And what's he going to do, be, go up there and, and be negative about the kid? No, that's not his M.O. So you accentuate the positives, and, you, again, you hope – that that what you saw in the fourth quarter is what you're going to see for the remainder of the season, short though it may be. And the clock is ticking, and that goes for Drew Aller, Nick Singleton, and, and what they can kind of put out there on film and what they can put out there for themselves and their confidence here at the end of their sophomore seasons. But again, there are a couple matchups here where if you can get it done in, in this kind of a stage, I know Michigan State's not a juggernaut, and, and 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 but I do think that if you can get it here and you have what three or four weeks to kind of not marinate in in that moment of, of putting it together here against Michigan State, but you can kind of work your way through a long month of bowl practice when you know things can get a little challenging. Sometimes that motivation might be lacking day by day, might be a little bit easier to come by for this offensive unit, for their quarterback, for this running back if they're building off what feels like a strong finish to the regular season. And it just feels like if they are going to get to this tenth win. Ready or not, they're going to be facing a significant test in the postseason. So if you're able to go into that with a little bit of offensive balance, a little bit of juice, momentum, uh, I think that's necessary. And I think that's pretty much pretty important. I I think there's something to be said for that month span that you're kind of just gearing up on your own and trying to find those daily motivators uh, versus, you know, getting through this game against Michigan State, not feeling great about how you were offensively versus getting through this game against Michigan State and feeling like few different players not just you know found the right steps for themselves but collectively you're working in the right direction uh that would be big news for Jay Wan Slater and Ty Howell as they continue their roles as co-offensive coordinators in the interim following the firing of Mike Yursich and when we work our way through this uh conversation offense wide receiver keeps popping up and and last week it was two total catches for that room it was an offensive uh, attack that that went run centric completely almost uh in, in the second half there uh, but a catch for Liam Clifford a catch for Omari Evans and when you kind of work your way through the, the final report on this receiver day Keandre Lambert Smith led this group in snaps although he was a bit lighter in terms of total percentage compared to where he may have been in the past and then Omari Evans was the next guy up it was Dante Cephas who got the start once again opposite of Keandre Lambert Smith in a two tight end set but it was Omari Evans who finished second among receivers he almost doubled Dante Cephas in routes run. And if we were looking for something, Daniel, that might be different post change at the offensive coordinator position and just where are some personnel wrinkles? There weren't a bunch to note, but this was one. Omari Evans apparently going to get a, a late season opportunity to maybe audition for what he can do in year three, but also to salvage something out uh, from what has felt like a, kind of a lost sophomore campaign after he played in every game as a freshman. Definitely. I was I was doing some some work uh, earlier today and I was going back through old stories uh, from the spring and everything we wrote about Omari Evans after the blue white game popped up. And it was just one of those things where it just felt like such a long time ago. Uh, I know that we talk about this season going pretty fast, but April feels like a long time ago when we saw Omari Evans at Beaver Stadium making plays and um, so I, I think that he's someone that we should probably keep an eye on uh, against Michigan State. Um, it was the type of thing where it, it felt like he was on the field a lot um, against 
against Rutgers, but then when you actually see the numbers and you see how much more he was on the field um, than, than Dante Cephas, then he pretty much has all year. I mean, I think that that's something that really, really stands out. Um, and you know, James Franklin got asked yet again about the wide receivers today, and he said that they that morning that they had been talking about getting these wide receivers more touches. Um, he says that he wants to get everyone as, as many touches as they can. Um, but at the same time, he said that the play of the tight ends, uh, Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren has cut into those wide receiver targets um, a little bit. The, the personnel groupings that they're using, I mean, we've seen so much, so many of those two tight end sets you know, that really limits the opportunities to rotate in wide receivers um, especially the slot guys. Um, so it, it seems like there's myriad factors here. You know, James Franklin, you know, he said that he knows um, you know what this, you know, how much they're playing and how the target distribution is. He once again said that you know, there are the deep shots. They're in the game plan for guys like Keandre Lambert Smith, and they're not getting the looks that they want. So they check and go to something else. Um, but I think that this group, I mean, especially this performance again against Rutgers, I know that you kind of have to factor in the Aller injury and, and the switch to Pervula uh, as something that skews the numbers there. But uh, to have only two catches and to have them by the two wide receivers who did, guys who have not played that much ball this year, I think that that's something that really stands out. Um, and I, we'll, we'll see. I mean, Keandre Lambert-Smith used Michigan State last year as a bit of a springboard. Um, can he do that again? I, I don't know. It's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, Keandre Lambert-Smith suddenly very much do. A guy who went into last weekend with 400 more pass, receiving yards than anyone on this roster. Uh, but you look at the last couple matchups here, one total reception, six yards, uh, hasn't picked up a first down in game action since uh, the Maryland matchup, which, which which he played very well and had some t- tough catches along the way. Um, Omari Evans, though, just to hammer home this point, games six through 10, he saw 25 total offensive snaps. And then game 11, he goes 32 total offensive snaps. So uh, it's an opportunity here for Omari Evans. Again, a guy that we thought might be involved as a starter was not available early on in the season against West Virginia, but even when he got some significant run against Iowa against Northwestern and, and he just didn't see anything out of those matchups from a production standpoint, really even a target standpoint with Drew Aller looking his way changed a little bit on Saturday. We'll see if, if he can build something here late in the season for a room that needs some answers. It needs some things to build off of heading into a, a significant winter and, and reshaping the trajectory for that position group. Uh, Mark, I, I think when we look at the defensive unit, I mean, you called it uh, going into the matchup. The benefit of the doubt is there for Manny Diaz and company. We know what happened against Indiana where they gave up three different kind of splash play touchdowns against the Hoosiers and helped make that game more interesting than we thought it might be. And that was coming off of a pretty heartbreaking loss at Ohio State. This time around, it wasn't a perfect game. It wasn't the best game that this defense has put together. But they came up with three takeaways, 17 points off of those, seven tackles for loss, and three sacks with Chop Robinson getting back into the act in a, in a significant way once again. Um, Mark, many Diaz is going to get a lot of love in the upcoming weeks, and it's not just going to come from Happy Valley. It's going to come from other athletic administrations, and it's deserved. It. And it's uh, now at the two seasons that he's strung together here. Uh, you know, 20, what, 25 games now or 24 games now he's coached with Penn State. And you can point to, to maybe one or two where things got off the rails for him. And the rest, it, it just, it's been consistent. And it may not be elite every week, but it's great to elite every week. And it's, it's, it's right in that mix. And it hasn't really been good or less than good very often. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked back at that game. And I think I wrote this that, you know, Catron Allen scores with 11 minutes to go in the second quarter. And you figured Penn State had an insurmountable 7-3 lead and that, that there was really, you know, no no chance. And it was weird, though, because they gave up some big third down runs. Uh, I think they let the quarterback complete some passes that he didn't usually compete. But again, you look up at the end of the game and the team has six points and, uh, you know, you, you just it, just another absolutely dominating effort. You know, the one thing I Franklin talked about it today, you know, and as we record this, it's Monday because I know some people may not get to it till tomorrow morning. But I think they're in a really good spot with Manny Diaz because I think he's going to wait until he gets the right head coaching opportunity. And I, I don't see him making a lateral move because I think he's in a good spot. They've recruited really, really good athletes and he has a head coach who allows him to do what he does. 
So where is he going to go that he's in a better situation that he is right now in terms of being a coordinator? And I think from Manny's point, you know, he's a guy who's coached at the highest level. He coached at Miami, you know, intense media spotlight down there. And I, I think he knows what the right opportunity is going to be. Now, if that comes up this year, you know, so be it. You can't, I mean, the, the guy's going to have to go and grab that job, but I don't think he's going to feel rushed to just take the first thing that pops up. And I think that's absolutely a good thing for Penn State because if you're going into that bowl game and you're trying to replace your offensive and defensive coordinator, that's going to be a very difficult thing. So again, if Manny Diaz gets a, a great head coaching opportunity and decides to take it, you wish him nothing but luck, but that's going to put Penn State in a difficult uh, position. Um, and not that he has to make any apologies for it whatsoever. But as I mentioned, you know, the, the, the Indiana game was an outlier. You look at what this guy's unit does week in and week out. And it's not the same players every single week. It's not the same area every week. And that's what I love about it. You, you, you know, this week it was Chop Robinson. We've seen other guys. I mean, against, uh, you know, Michigan, I mean, Kobe King actually played really well at times. So it's just it's different people stepping up at different times in different areas stepping up. And I think that that's a sign of a well-coached unit. Yeah, we talked. We talked a bit about the, some of those individual performances on the post game podcast. Kobe King was one of the names that did come up, and you look at the body of work now here in 2023. Now, uh, number two in total defense nationally, that that trails only Michigan. They've actually got three Big Ten teams leading that list in Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State. And then uh, turnover margin, number one in the country. They've been helped by a clean play from the offense in that regard, but they've got 24 takeaways uh, to this point through 13 through 11 contests. And then you look at what they've done on the ground. I think if there was a question or an area that there was any, I guess, concerns about this Manny Diaz defense coming in 2023, it would be how will they hold up against the run when teams want to run against them? And, you know, outside of when Michigan finally breaks through late in that contest in Beaver Stadium because your offense no-shows in the second half, they really have answered that bell. And right now, number one in the Big Ten, number three nationally in rushing yards allowed per game, less than 80 per game. So with that said, Manny Diaz has presented quite the case, Daniel. You know, get in a room with this guy, and I think anyone will tell you you can pick up on the vibes that that he is ready at some point to lead that program to be that CEO again. But at the same time, one of the common themes that we've had from conversations with Manny is how much it's been a bit of a career reset, or maybe a, a reboot for him in, in, in the passion standpoint of getting together with his linebackers, getting together with his defense on a daily basis, remembering what it's like to, to come up with the game plan. Whereas James Franklin, he'll tell you, he told us last week after practice, all the other things that don't happen on the field that he's responsible for, from NIL uh, to, to academics, to, to everything that falls under his wheelhouse. And Manny Diaz is going to have to go to live in that life again if he becomes a head coach. James Franklin says, yeah, if he's a head coach and this is a great opportunity for him to flourish, I'll support it. And, and I wish him the best of luck, and, and as you'd expect. But James Franklin made it very clear that he thinks him – and the administration are in a spot right now where they should not be losing guys to lateral moves. And there's been some, some smoke about other Power 5 programs, other teams that see themselves as college football playoff contenders in 2024, trying to poach Manny Diaz and give him that defensive coordinator job and, and probably a lot more money along the way. Um, James Franklin wants to be able to win all of those type of battles. Definitely. I, I think that that's something to to watch this offseason. And what, what Manny Diaz decides to do is going to be really interesting. I think that he occupies a, a pretty unique spot in terms of the coaching carousel because you know, he does fall into that retread category a little bit because he has that previous experience. But at the same time, everyone knows how that time ended. He's not kind of your, your similar retread who flamed out or you know, just couldn't get the job done and is now really rebuilding, um, you know, his resume or something. You think about, uh, you know, Manny Diaz's name came up for that Florida Atlantic job last year that went to Tom Herman. You look at where Tom Herman was uh, in his career and you look at where Manny Diaz was. Um, those are guys that are in two different spots uh, that had two different experiences. But I, I do think that if, if there is no head coaching job out there that Manny Diaz feels um, that is the right one for him. I mean, Penn State does need to do whatever it can to get him back next year. Um, I think that if you are serious about this business, 
you don't lose guys to lateral lateral moves, um, especially someone like Manny Diaz, who has really, um, really done a great job with this unit. I mean, it, it feels like that. I think you know, James Franklin has always been really complimentary of Brent Pry for all the team, all the time that they've worked together. Um, and I, I think he might have done this before, but today was one of the the first times I can or only times I can remember where James Franklin says that, yeah, Manny Diaz took what was here and then elevated it even more. Um, and I think that that's a really high compliment uh, from James Franklin to Manny Diaz. Um, I, I think that you just look at this unit and I think you can really count the games on one hand um, this year over his tenure where or even maybe like the moments on one hand where you feel like this defense wasn't ready or it was completely overmatched. Um, it, it seems like he's really been able to bring out the best in some players and and be really unique. I mean, it's clear that the players love playing for him. Um, that's something that we've really, really picked up on and that things are really catered to their strengths. So yeah, I think that I don't know who it'll be, but you got to expect that some of these more deep pocketed big time programs are are going to be calling this offseason, but it's on James Franklin, Pat Kraft, and the administration to kind of keep Manny Diaz here. And I think that James Franklin also understands that if there's the head coaching job, it's great. See ya. Thanks for everything. That's how this stuff works. And, and as you mentioned, not just any head coaching job, one that that is going to put him in a position where he's supported. You don't just cling to a job where you don't have administrative support from day one. You get to a job where there are a lot of promises and foundational things there for you when you get to campus if you're going to leave this one. So, uh, look, it's all good news at the end of the day for Manny Diaz. It's going to be decisions that he has to make that he's going to have to work through with his agent uh, while he's coaching this team for, for the rest of the way. Uh, but, but yeah, I think if you get a year three when we thought maybe you wouldn't get a year two, then you're really cooking something special. And it feels to me that James Franklin really has, has found his new standard when he uses this phrase, looking for a head coach of the offense, looking for a head coach of the defense, a head coach of special teams, as he went over with us after practice last Wednesday and what he wants from this new OC. He has a head coach, and, and maybe part of it is the guy actually has been a Power 5 head coach, so that's a, a big differentiating factor between Manny Diaz and some of the other options they had on the table last uh, a couple years ago when Brent Pry leaves. But James Franklin seems to want to do with everything within his ability to truly trust in his the coordinator to be that head coach and get to kind of provide some distance. And I know some people have had questions about what does that distance look like between James Franklin and whatever offensive coordinator is going to be in place and whoever's been in there in the past. But Manny Diaz, I don't know if it happened when he walked, you know, showed up on campus in December of 2021, but it has always been kind of the sense along the way that that James Franklin is is. You know, just kind of you know, pops over. He'll observe what Manny's doing. He'll check in on Manny, but it's Manny's show there uh, on the defense, and there really hasn't been any gray area. Uh, Mark, I, I think we're going to move on from the press conference unless you had anything you feel like we missed from that 45-minute uh, sit-down with James, the, the full video over at Lions247.com, of course. Yeah, I think the fact that he addressed uh, the situation with Kritza, is it is is, how, is that how you pronounce it? Beckham Kritza, uh, the, yeah, the quarterback commit. Yeah, where he said to two very respected reporters on the beat, um, uh, Audrey Snyder and Johnny McGonigal, uh, that that he knew before the Michigan game that 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 uh, I almost said Manny Diaz, God, uh, that Mike Yersich wasn't going to be back. Uh, James was asked about that, and you know he basically denied that he said it. He didn't basically deny that he said it. He did deny that he said it. But the one thing that I think it's important. Uh, let me let me find this. Um, that doesn't make, he said that doesn't make sense, but for a young kid, I could see how the timing of that you could connect the dots, uh, and they're not really connected. So, James was denying that he said it. We, I, I don't want to speak for you guys, but I respect both of these reporters, I think they were reporting what they heard accurately. So, if there's some miscommunication there, I think it's between the, the coach and the prospect. Now, James could not talk about the prospect specifically. Um, because there are recruiting rules going on it. So that made it a little bit more complicated. But long story short, James Franklin denied that he said that. And I think it's important that we note that because that's something a lot of folks on our board were talking about, and, and very understandably so. So, you know, which side of it do, do you believe? I, I, f from my perspective, I just think to me, it sounds like the communication between the coach and the prospect could be what the issue is here because I trust both of those reporters to report accurately what they heard. 
And of course, the the thing that arises from from that from that situation is if he had expressed to the quarterback on Saturday pregame that Mike Yersich wasn't going to be the offensive coordinator in place for when he eventually did get to campus, then that you know did Mike Yersich know he wasn't going to be the offensive coordinator at, right. the, end, at the end of the year when he's getting ready to coach against the Michigan Wolverines in one of the biggest games of the season? Uh, you know, therein lies the question. I, that's why the, the, there was a follow up about this subject asked on Monday afternoon, which I think was fair. And James Franklin said what he said on it. I doubt we'll, we'll kind of circle back to this in a media format. But um, yeah, good to bring that up because I think there were some some questions about that. I don't know that we have more clarity, but we kind of know where people stand. He addressed on it, now. at least. He addressed yeah, it. Yeah, we, so. we know where people stand on the subject. Yeah. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Moving ahead, and before we get to Tyler Calvaruso uh, on Penn State football recruiting, uh, I want to get into some basketball with you both because you've covered the team, and thus far, under this new regime of Mike Rhodes, they are 4-0, and as we laid out a couple weeks ago when the season tipped off, uh, you'd hope they'd be 4-0 considering the pathway, but you never know what a team that just came together and essentially was rebuilt from just about scratch is going to look like when they get onto the, to the court and these games actually matter. Uh, Daniel, again, 4-0 on the season – what would you kind of say are some defining themes thus far uh, as you've gotten to watch them in action? I think the energy, the athleticism, and the defense have really defined what we've seen from, from this team so far. I think that coming in with Mike Rhodes, we knew what he had done at VCU, and, and we knew what his reputation was. We also knew, we, we also knew that he was bringing uh, VCU's best player with him in Ace Baldwin, and then another key VCU player in Nicholas Kern. Um, but we still had a lot of questions as to what this would actually look like. I mean, you bring back three scholarship guys and two walk-ons from last year's team. Um, so you have 10 new players coming in, nine of whom are transfers. Um, you know, what What is this actually going to look like? What? How can we see the vision on the court? And I think we've really seen it. I mean, the, the way that they played against Moorhead State, um, you know, defensively just forcing so many turnovers, um, in the game against St. Francis, there was a sequence in the second half where you could really, really see St. Francis spiraling um, based on how Penn State was playing them defensively. I, I think that there are some things on offense that we still need to see. Uh, I think Mark's done a good job of highlighting the three-point shooting uh, as, as something that's left a little bit to be desired um, outside of a couple players. But I think that you know through these first four games, I've just been really, really impressed with sort of the cohesion that we've been able to see. You're able to see guys that appear to be bought into the system, executing their roles. Um, and I think over, you know, they've got three games in four days down uh, in Orla in Kissimmee in the very literally named ESPN events invitational. Um, and I think when, once we get to Sunday night, after they've played their three games, we're going to know a lot more about this team. Yeah, they're down in Disney World, and it's going to be a significant upgrade in matchup. Uh, you've got Texas A&M at least coming your way at number 12 in the country. That is a noon tip-off on Thanksgiving. What they've done thus far, they're coming off of a 74-51 to victory over Moorhead State. Prior to that, beat St. Francis of Pennsylvania 83-53, to beat Lehigh 74-65, to and beat Delaware State in the opener 79-45. to Thus far, all four games on home court, and as Daniel just said, though, heading south. And 
Mark, through these four matchups in terms of players, because this was such a fascinating topic, who, who would play where, how much would they play, who has been able to develop some trust with the staff? Clearly, you've got some, some guys who already had inroads with that following from Rhodes' last stop at the college level. Uh, but, but who are the players that thus far you think have clearly hit their stride um, early on as Nittany Lions? Well, I think it's important to note, as, as Daniel did, that that in Ace Baldwin and Nick Kern, the two guys who came from VCU, they were absolutely vital. Because if you look at this team now, they're already playing that style. And when you talk about bringing in nine new players, uh, eight transfers or nine transfers, whatever it was, and one true freshman, to get everybody to buy in to this pressure defense – that is not an easy thing. You know, I think they benefited from being able to go on the, the, the overseas tour uh, in the summer. But to have those two guys kind of set that foundation. Now, is Penn State going to be able to force 29 turnovers against Texas A&M the way it did against Moorhead State? Uh, absolutely not. But I think the fact that it's able to play that style and maybe reduce the shot clock, maybe get guys tired, those kind of things are important. But in terms of specific players, I don't have the stats here in front of me, but Cutis Wahab, he is way better than I anticipated, just way better than I anticipated. And I should have the stats up. But, I mean, he has a, an offensive feel around the basket that we used to see out of Mike Watkins when he was going well. But when he wasn't going well, that kind of disappeared. But other than that, it's been a long time since we've seen that kind of skilled big man. And then the rebounding job he's doing has just been unbelievable. Uh, so he has been just way better than I anticipated. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how Puff Johnson played for the first time, the North Carolina transfer uh, against Moorhead State. And, you know, as expected, he's coming off of an undisclosed injury. It looked like it might be his foot or ankle or something, the way he was messing around with it. But um, we didn't see a whole heck of a lot. But I think he's going to be a guy to keep a real eye on uh, just in terms of his all-around game and the things he can bring to the table. Uh, again, as we taped this on Monday, uh, Mike Rhodes said he wasn't sure at what point Puff might be a starter, but this is a guy that Mike Rhodes is talking about as having a career after Penn State, and I think we all know, you know, what that means. I don't think he's talking about a guy, you know, playing overseas or whatever. So I think he's another guy uh, to look out for. And then Zach Kicks, you know, the transfer from Temple, he's been a little bit up and down with his three-point shooting, but I think he's been a better all-around player. Mike Mike Rhodes told then he then he showed at Temple. Mike Rhodes told us a pretty funny story today. That I think it was Hicks's dad said to Zach, I've never seen you play defense this hard. And sometimes it takes a kind of a change of scenery. But this is a guy who played a lot of ball at Temple. He was known basically as a spot-up shooter. And now you're getting another long-limbed guy to kind of buy in uh, to what they're doing defensively. And then I, I would be remiss if I left out Kanye Clary because uh, you know I think I mentioned on one of our podcasts, when they played that exhibition game, he was going like 8,000 miles an hour and just seemed like he was trying to do way too much. Since the season started, he's been really good at forcing the action offensively. And then when you insert him into that pressure defense alongside Ace Baldwin, I think Rhodes called him the tip of the spear. He could be like – Rhodes said he could be like a one-man trap. And then you have, you know, Ace Baldwin, the former A-10 Defensive Player of the Year. You have those two guys out there. They are not the biggest guys. And I would, I would venture to say that Baldwin isn't the fastest guy, but Baldwin has like sneaky basketball instincts and, and, and movements. And then you add that with, with Kanye Clary, who has elite quickness and speed. And you have those guys up at the front. And then we talked about this before. When you look at this roster, and, and you know, it, it's, it's Kern, uh, it's Hicks, it's Puff. Long arms, you know, guys who can jump, long arms, and, and that all plays into what they want to do defensively. It's so different than what we saw under Shrewsbury, and what Shrewsbury did was successful. Successful. We know what Rhodes has done has been su successful. So the fact that they've been able to get that kind of implemented, there's still going to be growing pains, but the fact that they've been able to get that implemented and buy-in, I think, has been good through these first four games. So I know I threw a lot out there, but there are a lot of guys who have kind of stood out. And if I missed anybody, Daniel, please <laughs> help. 
And we're still in the time of year where we just don't get the basketball much. So when we do dedicate a segment to it, we appreciate all the information. Daniel, we will finish here, though, before we get to Tyler Calvaruso on a bunch of names on the recruiting trail that we got to be aware of with the Nittany Lions. But uh, if there are more players that you feel like maybe Mark didn't get to there that you think that really impressed you for four weeks, go for it. I'm just curious beyond that. What are the what are the kind of the concerns looming over this team? It, 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 before you say, oh, they're undefeated, they're 4-0, all is well. What is the like, well, but dot, dot, dot. What are we still trying to figure out that, that could you know trip them up as the schedule intensifies very soon? Yeah, I think the one guy that I'm really excited to watch as the season goes on is DeMarco Dunn. Uh, he's been coming off the bench. Uh, he had the one spot start for Baldwin. Um, but I don't think Mark put him in the list there. Um, but uh, And Jamil. Yeah, and Jamil. Uh, Jamil Brown's been great uh, as a three-pointer. I think that there's – I think his minutes have felt a little inconsistent – um, but we'll see how that gets dialed in. But I think DeMarco Dunn is someone that um, they talk about. A couple of people have mentioned that he was used differently uh, in North Carolina and didn't really, his role wasn't exactly clear there. But with him, they've been trying to make it very clear to him what his role is. Um, and they feel like that they're going to be able to unlock some of that potential because he was, he and Puff Johnson were both former top 100 recruits, um, you know, very well regarded guys who ended up at North Carolina. But I mean, I think that you look forward and I, I think that one of the one of the things I'm really curious to see is what happens when you don't have the athleticism advantage. Um, I mean, that's been clear through these first four games. I think I thought Moorhead State had a couple guys that could maybe play um, with, with Penn State a little bit. But, you know, in terms of depth, Penn State had them beat. So, you know, you're going up against an SEC team in, in Texas A&M from the jump. I mean, how does that look when you don't have that athleticism edge? Um, I, I'm still kind of a Caduce Wahab skeptic a little bit. Um, you know, I need to see him do it against um, good competition, whether that's an SEC team, whether that's an ACC team in Georgia Tech next month, may, whether that's when Big Ten play starts. You know, he's done it before in the Big Ten and it didn't, it was tough for him. You know, it didn't go that well. Um, the one year here is at Maryland. There's a lot of other stuff going on that year. But even last year at Georgetown, he wasn't back to what he was when he was a sophomore at Georgetown. So, I mean, I think that he's someone where if he can play like he's done against these inferior opponents, if he can come close to that in the Big Ten, I mean, that's huge for Penn State. Um, you know, he can be someone that's really, really important. But I really want to see him prove that. Um, and because I think we saw last year where I really like Kebajai, I think he's going to be a really good college basketball player. Um, but he, there was a lot of responsibility heaped on him last year in big 10 play. And we saw what happened when, you know, that big man can't quite get it done and you have to go small. It can make things pretty difficult for you in, in certain ways. So, you know, if Wahab can be playable and excel against the Big Ten, I think that's big. Um, so I think that's what stands out to me. I mean, this team is so athletic, so long. They've got so much depth. Um, but what does it look like when it's an SEC team, someone who can match you a little bit? I think that's maybe the, the one thing that stands out to me going into this week. And then looking beyond early December, they're back uh, home against Bucknell on the second first Saturday of the month. But then matchups at Maryland and home against Ohio State await as Big Ten play begins a bit uh, before the new year. Fellas, appreciate the perspective on a couple different sports here on this episode of the podcast. We'll pack a lot more into our Tuesday episode, which is going to preview this next matchup against Michigan State before you guys hit the road and get out there to Detroit. Thanks a lot, Mark. Daniel. Hey, one quick note. One, yeah. Penn State is practicing today. I just checked. I got a heads up on that. So with this condensed week, this usually isn't a practice day, uh, but it is. So they're going to have a pretty good feel for what Aller's all about. And hopefully when we get out on the field tomorrow, we'll have a pretty good feel for where he is as well. And as we said, even before then, James Franklin expressing a lot of optimism on Drew Aller as the starting quarterback and able to be available for this, uh, this Friday matchup. Guys, take care. We'll talk to you soon. Yep. Thanks, Tyler. Let's get into recruiting conversation now because Penn State had a chance to bring in some recruits uh, for that matchup versus Rutgers, a home game number seven. So the chapter's closed here in 2023 on getting those recruits to campus. Uh, for that event, there will be junior days, plenty of other opportunities to get guys in town moving forward. But to talk about this latest chance, we bring in Tyler Calvaruso, our Lions 24-7 recruiting insider. And Tyler, welcome back in. Thanks for having me back on, man. Always appreciate it. 
Uh, we just spent a lot of time breaking down where Penn State is through these 11 games. And, and you and I last week spent a lot of times, uh, a lot of time breaking down where Penn State was on the recruiting trail with that 2024 class. The signing period is coming up in December. But there is obviously a lot happening when it comes to the 2025 class and, and, and laying a lot of groundwork. And it feels like that was the primary focus here coming out of the Rutgers matchup. Is that kind of translating to you that that was the front and center focus uh, for this opportunity? Yeah, I definitely agree with that sentiment. And quite frankly, it wound up being a more intriguing visitor of the list than I originally anticipated. At the beginning of the week, you know, you got Thanksgiving coming up. You got a noon kickoff. You got guys still playing in the postseason. So, you know, early in the week, you weren't quite sure what it was going to be on the visitor front, but it wound up being a pretty solid weekend for Penn State. They got a bunch of intriguing 2025s to town. Some of those guys left with offers. Others already had offers and have been on Penn State's board for a little while now as evaluations continue to roll on from the staff. Where do some of these guys fall? You know, we're going to have to see. But though some of those guys already had offers and they're being evaluated very closely by the staff, others got to town without offers, left town with offers, and they are now on the board at their respective positions. And when you take a look at the guys who did receive some offers, and we'll get into those names, you know, there's definitely a chance that we're circling back on some of these 2025s who picked up offers as real guys on the board for Penn State later in the cycle. So this was a pretty productive weekend for Penn State, I would say. And yeah, I would definitely classify it as more of a building block weekend when it comes to getting to know some of those 2025s a little bit more. Familiar commits back on campus, uh, including Brady O'Hare from that 2025 class. But uh, a lot of newer names or, or, or recent offers or, quite frankly, just new offers on Saturday involved here. And before we get to that, Beckham Kritza, who we who we broke down last week on our Tuesday episode as the sixth edition of this class, made it a six-man class at this stage in the 2025 cycle. It's the number six group overall in 24-7 sports rankings. Uh, nice balance thus far in, in terms of positions. A little bit top-heavy in terms of offense at, at this stage with DJ McClary, a linebacker, and Omari Gaines, a defensive back, as the, as the only two defenders in this bunch. But Tyler, when we look at, at the group of new offers, let's begin on the defensive side of the football because Darren Ikenogbon, and I think I got that right, and I did, if I didn't, I apologize, but Darren Ikenogbon out of Hillside High School in New Jersey Big frame, six foot five, two hundred twenty plus pound edge prospect. Uh, he's got the ACC, SEC, Big Ten offers now building up as a junior. And Penn State is the latest to put one on the table for him while he was on campus. I've been saying I kinnick bond, so one of us is right, one of us is wrong. We'll, we'll figure I it like, out. I like how my sounds better than yours, but we'll get some verification on. Yeah, I kind of like yours better now that you're saying it. So maybe I'll roll with that moving forward. But either way, we better learn it because I think he's going to be a guy that we're talking about moving forward. So he camped at Penn State during the summer. He was a little bit leaner at that point. He was more around 220, 225. He's gone through his junior season now at Hillside High in New Jersey. That's in the books, and he played it closer to that 235, 240 range, which people seem to believe that gives him a little bit of potential positional versatility at the next level. You know, originally he was a guy who profiled as more of a true edge rusher. Now, you know, as he continues to grow into his frame and add good weight, he could be a guy who could give you a couple of different looks on the defensive line. As Penn, and Penn State has pursued that type of defensive lineman in recent cycles. You know, Jamil Lines was a guy who played on the edge at Roman Catholic in Philly. And, you know, he, lined, he can line up all over the defensive line if you need him to. So Penn State has gone after players of that body type in recent cycles. And that's going to continue here. The junior season film is solid. You know, again, some all right competition. There are some good teams on Hillside's schedule. It's nothing that's going to blow you away, but he was winning more than his fair share of reps throughout his junior year. And he, this was an offer that was really important for him. This was one that he really wanted for a little while. It was his first Big Ten offer, so that's obviously notable. But when he camped at Penn State during the summer, he really liked defensive line coach Deion Barnes, really liked the feel for the staff, how they work with their guys. And then, you know, he gets back to town for the first time in a while. He gets to take in a game, and he enjoyed the atmosphere, enjoyed everything that went along with this Saturday visit. So he's got the Nittany Lions high in his list right now. His stock is very much on the rise. November has been a very busy month for him on the recruiting trail. Offers from the likes of Georgia and multiple other high-profile programs rolling in. So he's going to be one of those better 2025 recruits in New Jersey. Penn State probably made the right call getting in when it did. From one guy in a neighboring state to the east to one in a neighboring state to the west, let's go with Winton Woods, 
out of Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, defensive back Siante Stewart. He picks up an offer as well. Purdue was his initial Big Ten opportunity, but this is a guy who's really just in the early stages of putting together a Power Five offer sheet. A long cornerback out of Cincinnati. What, what more do we have uh, in terms of information on this young man, why Penn State offered, and how it sent him home feeling about the program? Stewart's another guy whose stock is on the rise as his junior season film has really continued to circulate and get out to those power five staffs because I got the chance to flip it on yesterday, and I do think he is a pretty surefire power five talent at corner. He's just around six foot right now, but he's growing into his frame. He's up, he's at 190, I believe, right now. His wingspan is definitely where it needs to be when it comes to playing cornerback at the Big Ten level or any other power five conference for that matter. So that's a plus. Penn State's been, uh, you know, kind of sniffing around here for a little bit. Terry Smith has been doing some evaluating. There's been plenty of contact between Penn State and Stewart. And he was telling me when I got the chance to catch up with him on his way back home on Saturday night that this was a significant offer for him in the sense that Penn State, you know, really once the Nittany Lions established contact with him, dating back a while at this point, a program that he was keeping his eye on pretty closely. One of those situations where it was a guy who definitely wanted an offer from Penn State, kind of like a kid bug. Stewart wanted that Penn State offer, leaves town with the Penn State offer. And I expect some more power five offer for him moving forward as his tape just really gets around to more staffs. I like the prospect. And he comes from a pretty good Cincinnati program in Winton Woods High. They just sent Jermaine Matthews to Ohio State recently. They've got a history of churning out power five talent. And when those guys get to the next level, they're well coached. So I think he's an interesting prospect on multiple levels. And now he's got a Penn State offer. From just a bit west out in Ohio to way west out in Orange County, California. We actually referenced this school, Santa Margarita Catholic, uh, last week when discussing Beckham Kritz's prep journey, which has taken him out to Southern California and then to Miami Central and now uh, back home to his public high school in Colorado. But one of those stops was Santa Margarita Catholic. That's where you'll find Lenny Brown, a cornerback in the 2025 class. Pac-12 schools have offered Arizona, uh, Cal among them. And now Penn State starts the party from a Big Ten angle. This is a 2026 prospect to know out there in Southern California. And Penn State decided they're not going to wait. They're going to get him back home. Uh, and they're going to let him know that the Nittany Lions are very much interested. Yeah, they decided that it was worth jumping in early after getting a look at his sophomore season film. A couple of Penn State coaches threw Brown a follow on social media at the beginning of his sophomore season. And then he went on to have a standout sophomore season. I mean, Arizona took notice with an offer. Cal took notice with an offer. So Penn State is really just the latest to get a look at Brown's tape and decide, hey, look, this is a guy that we want in our 2026 class. You know, we've seen Terry Smith do a lot of recruit. Well, not a lot, but we've seen him do his fair share of recruiting out in California, specifically in the secondary. So Brown is a guy who will be on his radar moving forward. He's also teammates with Cam Brickle, who was back in town. You know, Brickle, who started his high school career at Malvern Prep, he made the move out to California ahead of his sophomore season. He was back. So those two are teammates. And, you know, I think Penn State does have staying power with Brown, kind of because of that relationship with Brickle. You know, that was one of the reasons he wanted to make it to campus. But really, you know, Brown just – he views Penn State as a program where he can go and develop under the tutelage of Smith. So I think this is an offer to watch moving forward. I expect his stock to continue, you know, with an upward arrow – moving forward his sophomore tape if you get the chance to watch it it's pretty solid so this is another really good offer for, by penn state in my opinion we're gonna have to see where brown's development takes him can we talk about brickle too because yeah. uh, he was one of the more impressive underclassmen regardless of position that that you and i saw last summer uh, during penn state's camp season when they welcomed guys you know on a weekly basis it felt almost daily there for a while but brickle was one of those linemen that just popped i mean he, he was uh, not the biggest of the bunch, but once he got moving and once competition started, it was really hard to ignore him. And then you realize, oh, well, there's a reason that he's got offers from Georgia and Southern Cal uh, before his sophomore year or early on in his sophomore year. And he has since moved on from Malvern Prep, as you said, which you know, takes him away from the neighborhood. Instead, he's now at, at Santa Margarita Catholic, where you're going to have power five coaches coming through like a revolving door for the next few years. But he's about halfway through his high school career. Clearly, there are some roots with Penn State because of where he comes from and the time he has spent on campus. And now you add this visit to that, and he's got another teammate who is a wanted man. But let's be honest here. Just how much is this recruitment affected by the cross-country relocation? And, and if this holds for the remainder of his high school career, what does this recruitment process shape up for with the Penn State? 
you know, based on some conversations I've had, I'd say Brickle is pretty interested in returning to the neighborhood at some point. It's an offer that remains high on his list, regardless of geographical location. You know, the move definitely impacts things. You know, you're going to have more West Coast programs involved that possibly maybe wouldn't have even gotten involved in the past if he had stayed at Malvern Prep in Pennsylvania. But Brickle's opinion of Penn State, it's been a pretty high one from the start. You know, when he camped during the summer, he was just very comfortable in that environment. And every time he gets back to Penn State, I mean, I got the chance to talk to him briefly coming out of this visit. And really just whenever he gets back to Penn State, it's a program that feels like home to him. And that's not just because he's from Pennsylvania. Whenever he gets around the staff, he just feels comfortable. It's kind of like one of those second nature things. So I think Penn State's going to be a program that seriously contends for Cam Brickle moving forward. And that's probably a good thing for the Indian Lions. I mean, you referenced it. He was really, really good. In a camp setting, I think Penn State staff took notice that Dion Barnes made a priority to do some individual work with Brickle on multiple occasions. I mean, there were times where Brickle was off to the side having conversations with Manny Diaz. And for Manny Diaz to do that with a 26 in a camp setting, that's pretty telling because, you know, usually his focus is elsewhere on the more, you know, imminent prospects at that camp. But he pulled Brickle aside at one point and we got to see that. So I think it's pretty evident that, you know, where he stands early. And obviously that 2026 board is still very much coming together. That's a ways away. But Brickle is going to be a prominent name in defensive line recruiting in 2026. We got a couple more names to get to here, and, and we'll stick with the teammate theme there. We talked about a couple guys from, from Santa Margarita Catholic, and we've already talked about one from Winton Woods High School in Cincinnati, Ohio. Well, Siante Stewart, who picked up that offer during his visit, wasn't alone. Justin Hill uh, from that same program and from that same Winton Woods defense, an edge rusher, linebacker type prospect, a top 24-7 talent, 190 overall in 24-7 sports assessment, bunch of offers from across the Power 5 landscape, and he was also in Happy Valley making that trip from the 2025 class at Wooden Woods. Yeah, so he is a really, really good prospect in my eyes. I mean, if you throw on his tape, he's more of a edge rusher, stand-up, outside linebacker type on tape. That's the majority of his usage at Winton Woods, and he has an insanely quick first step coming off the ball. But the thing to note here, and it's important from where Penn State has him on the board, he's not pigeonholed into playing on the edge. You know, his athleticism, it allows him to move around that Winton Woods defense, and Penn State likes him at linebacker. You know, where that fit is when it's all said and done, you know, that's still working itself out. The majority of his film is coming off the edge, but you see him playing on the weak side on occasion as, you know, in a normal linebacker role, and he's pretty damn good at it. So I think he'll, him getting back to camps was important. That was something that Penn State wanted to do. He winds up making the trip with his teammates, Stewart. Those two had a really good time. He's actually gotten to see Penn State play. This was his third time seeing Penn State play this season. He visited Illinois when the Nittany Lions were in Champaign, and he visited Ohio State when the Nittany Lions traveled to Columbus to take on the Buckeyes. So he's kind of seeing Penn State at its best this season and not necessarily at its worst, but in a game where it did not play its best brand of football. So he has seen the ups and downs of this season from afar. And on Saturday, he got the chance to experience a Beaver Stadium experience for the first time, that went well. Conversations with the staff went well. So Penn State already has a 2025 linebacker in DJ McClary. They're working hard on multiple others. And with Hill being more of a hybrid guy, he's probably going to be a guy we continue to talk about moving forward. Really good prospect. Really good offer list. Watch out for Alabama in this one as well. He's made it down to Tuscaloosa, and I heard that visit when he was down there went really well. Uh, from one top 24-7 prospect in the 2025 cycle to another, as we finish off our review of some of the recruit, recruits who are on campus, let's go with the great name here for a running back recruit, Bo Jackson. Uh, we saw him on the camp circuit as well last year. Uh, he picked up an early offer from the Nittany Lions ahead of his junior season. Uh, he's, a, he's a guy from Cleveland, Ohio. He's the number 18 running back in our rankings at 24-7 Sports, number 209 overall, bigger back at six foot one approaching 200 pounds at this stage of his career. Um, look, whenever Penn State's got a top 24-7 running back in town, I'm paying attention because J1 Sider signs those guys all the time. Yeah, and Jackson, he's he's a really good player. And it was his first visit since the spring. He visited for a spring practice session in late March. I believe it was March 25th. He was in town. And his relationship with J1 Sider, despite him not being around all that often or being around recently, it's come along pretty nicely. You know, I think Ohio State is still going to be tough to beat for Bo Jackson. You know, the in-state Buckeyes are very much involved there. And given him being the prospect that he is, 
you know, it might be difficult to get him to leave the state for Penn State or any other program involved in his recruitment. And you also have to factor in, you know, Penn State has two 2025 running backs already in Tyke Hayes and Keandre Barker from Texas, the top 24-7 prospect. And the staff is very content and very much likes what it has in those two. So that's part of this equation as well. But Jackson gets back to town. All went well on the visit front from what we've been able to gather. You know, again, that relationship with J1 Siders is in a pretty good place. Very cool. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to follow. Uh, appreciate the update uh, on that one. But there, there was a few other top 100, top 247 type talents that we didn't get to on this conversation. Uh, Brian Doan was talking to some people. There's a lot more coverage coming out of the Rutgers matchup and some of those visits over at lines247.com. Tyler, the home games are done. We're just a few weeks away, about a month away from the early signing period. We've got the February signing period after that. Let's just finish. What, what is? What do you think things look like here for the next few weeks? And how much is the transfer portal conversation as that window opens at the start of December about to really shake things up? Yeah, it's definitely going to mean Avenue Penn State Explorers as it looks to you know get a jump start on building that 2024 roster. You know there are multiple positions that either need to be upgraded or, you know, Penn State is going to look to add some key depth pieces throughout the offseason. So I'd anticipate the Nittany Lions being active at multiple positions in the portal once that gets rolling. And, you know, you got to factor in 2024 recruiting cycle. It's nearing its end. Penn State is still working and, you know, generate some potential noise on the flip front. You know, there's still some uncommitted prospects they're involved with as well. Top 24-7 offensive lineman, A.J. Dennis, he was just at Clemson for an official visit over the weekend. That's a recruitment that we're monitoring really, really closely down the stretch. His decision, publicly at least, is not going to come until January when he announces at the All-American Bowl. So January 6th will be the decision for the decision date for A.J. Dennis. Penn State very, very much involved there, so that's one we're keeping a close eye on. But really, right now, it's portal and finishing out this 2024 cycle. After that, we shift our focus to the 2025 guys, and we keep a really close eye on the portal as well because there's going to be a lot going on there. Yeah, some 24-7 sports reporting out of Chris Hummer, who does a really fantastic job comes portal season on Penn State expressing interest in one of the Texas A&M receivers who has hit the portal. Remember, when teams lose their head coach, fire their head coach, that opens up portal opportunities for members of that roster. So a lot of the programs across America, as, as we see these coaching changes happen, we've already seen some of the names pop up in the portal. James Franklin referenced it a bit after practice last Wednesday with us, and he says while his focus right now is on his current roster and winning football games, there is a chunk of this staff that is dedicated to making sure they're monitoring and tracking guys in the portal. So uh, this program should be ready to pounce. They're already starting to do some of that, and you and I will pick up that conversation at a much – different level uh, i think uh, next time we have you on to the show uh, which will be after thanksgiving and after this regular season wraps up so between now and then hope you enjoy your holiday tyler i know you have a lot of uh, recruiting coverage coming up at lines247.com as i got an incoming phone call we try to wrap this thing up but thank you for your perspective as always thanks man i appreciate it all right uh, great stuff from Tyler before him, Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon from our Lions 24-7 family. Uh, appreciate everyone for listening and reading and subscribing to Lions247.com. However you find our podcast uh, on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, we love it. Uh, please drop a five-star rating and review if you keep coming back for more. Until next time, I'm Tyler Downey here. We are with you on Tuesday with our predictions, uh, an early look toward that Friday night matchup between Michigan State and Penn State for now stepping aside. I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks for listening to the Lions 24-7 podcast.